everyone. Thanks for joining us today on the Freedom Caucus podcast. This is the official podcast of the House Freedom Caucus. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, and we are thrilled to have you on board with us today. If you've enjoyed listening to these podcasts, by the way, I would really ask you just to take a little bit of time to share this podcast on social media, or even better yet, leave a review on iTunes. We would appreciate that a great bit. All right, let's get on uh, with the show today. We've got a very special guest who's going to be joining us, who is with us here today. He comes from the other side of the Capitol building. He comes from the Senate side, and we are thrilled to have Mike Lee joining us today. But before we get to Mike, let me just walk you through a couple of major, major, major differences between the House and the Senate, and I think this will help all of us as we kind of set up the program today. First of all, the House of Representatives is a majority rules party. That means if either party, Democrat or Republican, if they've got 218 more in the House, then they can basically vote on whatever they want to vote on regardless of any consideration from the minority side. That is exactly What happened just a couple of weeks ago with H.R. 1, we talked about that on this podcast. That was the bill that would radically transform our election systems. And the Democrats passed out without a single Republican voting yes on it. That's what you get in the House. But the Senate is not like that. The Senate operates on entirely different rules and a totally different system so that Obviously, while the majority in the Senate still carries a lot of weight, they're able to run the show, it is nonetheless true that the minority in the Senate has significant power and influence. They are able to block legislation. They're able to prevent legislation from gaining momentum. They can stop a movement from moving forward. And it is largely because of the Senate rules, which all of us probably you're aware of. We hear a lot of times about the 60 votes. It takes 60 votes in the Senate to stop a debate or to begin the process of even moving a bill forward. So when you have 60 senators required to move a bill forward, that means all it takes is 41 senators who are opposed to a bill And basically, that bill's not going anywhere. So there, the minority has significant influence. And it's because of this rule that if any one senator objects to a bill, then they can hold it up indefinitely unless the author of the bill is able to find 59 others who can uh, help move the, the bill forward. So this brings us to the Senate Republican Steering Committee. This steering committee is an extremely influential and powerful committee. It has staff members who obviously know the rules inside and out, and their knowledge of the rules uh, they use to block bad bills from uh, being brought up for a vote. They do all sorts of things like this. Well, it is extremely important for you to know that the committee chairman is none other than our guest today, Mike Lee. Mike Lee is not a member of the Freedom Caucus, that's just in the House. But arguably, Mike Lee is a one-man Freedom Caucus member himself in the Senate. Senator Mike Lee is the senior senator from Utah, and in addition to serving as the chairman of the steering committee, 
He is also the chairman of the Joint Economic Committee, which, as it sounds, is a bipartisan, bicameral committee that's focused on economic issues. And he is particularly uh, placing emphasis on the committee's social capital project, which is a long-term research project that looks at how family, community, and religious life is changing in America, which we all know it most certainly is. So combined with the steering committee and his own staff, Mike has basically created his own personal think tank in the Senate. And that is why precisely we often have Mike Lee join us in our House Freedom Caucus meetings. He is indeed our biggest counterpart. All right, let's bring this down to a little more personal information. Senator Lee and his wife, Sharon, of course, live in Utah. They have three children. I graduated from Brigham Young University with a Bachelor of Science and his law degree. Uh, As an attorney, he specialized in appellate and Supreme Court litigation. And Mike, it's amazing. Actually, you you clerked for uh, Justice Alito. What an amazing thing is uh, to have that opportunity. And, of course, no... No question why the president has you on his list of potential Supreme Court nominees. But in all of this that you do, it's amazing how you've written several books. Your most recent coming out here just around the corner in a couple of weeks, Our Lost Declaration, America's Fight Against Tyranny from King George to the Deep State. That is awesome. And listen, thank you for joining us today on the Freedom Caucus podcast. It's a great honor to have you. Thank you very much, Jimmy. Good to be with you. Well, uh, tell us a little bit about the book here before we get going, Our Lost Declaration. The book is my latest effort in an attempt to make clear to the American people that what we're facing today with overreaching big government is nothing new. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Many of the things that we face from the government today in the so-called deep state, for example, are similar to things that we faced around the time of the American Revolution. That's not to say that we're in an apocalyptic era or an era that necessarily needs to be followed by a revolution, uh, a formal revolution, as historians would put it, but it is rather an era in which, like every other era, people will abuse government if they can. That's why we became an independent nation. That's why we have a Declaration of Independence, and that's why we have a Constitution. And people will always find a way uh, to abuse it. They will. They'll abuse it to the extent that they can without consequences. And so that's why it's so important to remind ourselves that we have the keys, the tools at our disposal to reclaim our own government. Well, and we've got to do that. We are in the fight of our life for this country. And uh, I look forward to reading the book because it sounds like uh, what you're saying is uh, this type of battle has been going on for a long, long time. It's not going away anytime soon. But that, that's a perfect segue into some things I'd like for us to talk about. Uh, let's begin with the steering committee. The fact that you're the chairman of that that committee carries enormous weight, enormous responsibility, and influence. So why not, uh, I know I talked about it a little bit in the intro, but let's dive deeper into that. What does the steering committee actually do, uh, and, and the, the joint economic committee as well, but how are these, how are you using these to try to push the conservative agenda? The Senate Steering Committee is kind of uh, an in-house conservative think tank within the Senate, and its job is to promote good legislation and to stop bad legislation. As between the two, by the way, Calvin Coolidge is famous for saying that it's 
the latter that's more important because once right. a bad law is put on the books, it's much more difficult to Get undo it. it. Yeah. You can stop it a lot easier than, than you can uh, to get rid of it. Um, so that's what the Senate Steering Committee does. It reviews legislation moving through the Senate. Uh, we as a body decide which bills we want to support and which we want to oppose. One of the functions we serve for our members is to keep people apprised of legislation moving the, through what's called the hotline, the unanimous consent calendar. There are a lot of bad things that come through that. We have to identify them before they pass. All right. So how many are on the committee? At any given time, there are about a dozen members of the Senate Steering Executive Committee. And uh, those are people who are um, conservatives who are wanting to be involved in the process and concerned about the direction our country is taking. Originally, when the steering committee was formed, it was not called the Senate Republican Steering Committee, in part because at the time it was formed back in the 70s, there were still such thing as conservative Democrats. And there were from time to time people who were otherwise not Republicans who were conservatives and wanted to be a part of it. Well, that's kind of changed a little bit these it days. Has. Yes, it I has. I mean, is this kind of a, and this is probably not an accurate description, but you yourself, have got to be the the core potential Freedom Caucus on the Senate side. And I, we look at you that way. Anyway, those of us in the Freedom Caucus on the House, you are a, a counterpart, a, a co-laborer, if you will, with that. Is the steering committee comprised of that kind of conservative uh, makeup? It's the closest thing we have, I think, to a Freedom Caucus. It operates a little bit differently over here, in part because of the fact that the Senate is a smaller chamber. Um, and members have more uh, individual power to stop a particular bad bill. Now, that has its upsides, and it also has its downsides. Let's talk about that. Yep. All right. What? How, how does that work? I mean, we all know about, we talk a lot about the 60-vote rule, uh, where you can't even really have a good debate without 60 people, 60 senators saying, let's deal with this issue. Uh, and that gives enormous power to the minority in the Senate by design, but it's also extremely frustrating uh, nationally. I, this is probably the number one issue I hear about the Senate when I'm uh, back home in the dist district. So let's talk a little bit about this. The rule that you describe, the so-called filibuster rule, really helps conservatives in the end if it's used properly. The problem that we've had with the filibuster rule is that it hasn't been used properly. The whole purpose of it is to extend debate, to prolong debate, to allow for any one senator or group of senators to continue debating and offering improvements to legislation before it comes up for a final vote. Now, about 100 years ago, uh, they decided to create a backdoor around that to come up with something called a cloture vote that would allow most of the members to get together and say, let's close debate, even if any one senator wanted to continue it. So at the time, they made a rule that three-fourths of the Senate, 75 votes, uh, could come forward and bring debate to a close. They later changed that to two-thirds. It's subsequently been changed to three-fifths, or 60 senators could bring debate to a close. These days, it's used often to forestall debate altogether rather than to prolong it. That's a real problem. It's also been used to create a de facto 60-vote uh, passage rule, which is not supposed to be how it works. Uh, passage in the Senate 
unless we're talking about a veto override or a treaty ratification or proposing a constitutional amendment or something like that, that by constitutional design takes a supermajority. Passage is still by a simple majority. It's just that you first have to bring debate to a close as long as any member wants to prolong debate. It hasn't been used the way that it's supposed to be used, and as a result, sometimes it allows us to circumvent debate altogether. Do you have to have the 60 vote to begin debate? Many pieces of legislation, you have to uh, have cloture on the motion to proceed, so we call that front-end cloture. So in many instances, you have to have uh, 60 votes just to get on. So just to get started. Yes. Right. And then and then likewise to stop it. Likewise. But then once you get beyond that hurdle, it is a the simple majority. That's right. But you can't get to the to over that hurdle without the 60 votes. Right. Due in large part to the fact that a whole lot of members don't want to have to debate on certain things and don't want to have to cast vote on certain things. Right. Uh, but as has often been said around here, if you don't want to fight fires, don't become a firefighter. If you don't want to cast tough votes, don't become a lawmaker. Exactly. Here's the frustration, and I know you've heard it as much as I do, but when there is such a partisan environment as there is today, it virtually shuts the Senate down. If you have um, a Chuck Schumer who basically is holding the Democrats in his grasp and saying, we're not going to vote cloture, then it's done. Nothing moves forward. How do you get over that? Well, first of all, I think there are things we could do to get around that under the existing rules without changing anything. For example, once you get onto a particular question before the body, uh, you can keep the Senate in the same legislative day. If we remain in the same legislative day for weeks or even months, as has been done in the past, every senator is limited to giving no more than two speeches on the same legislative day, on the same discrete legislative topic. Eventually, you could exhaust each and every objecting senator's ability to speak to the point that they're no longer able to show up. And if you require showing up and speaking right. on the filibuster, as opposed to just filibustering in yeah, theory, that would be a huge then all of a sudden right. you could get on to legislation. You can call the question at 51. Right. Well, let's transition here. I know we've just got a, a couple of minutes left, but that, that brings us to uh, in the, the uh the partisan frictions that we're seeing these days and the difficulty of moving things. Nonetheless, you have been successful in, in seeing some legislation move forward. I'm, I'm uh, thinking of uh, the um, prison reform, criminal justice reform bill, for example. That's a good step forward where both sides were brought to the middle. I'm sure the steering committee helped improve this whole bill as it was moving forward. The criminal justice reform was a big step in the right direction. What other uh, potential bills do you see where we can uh, possibly work together, particularly in the Senate side, and, and move forward? You're right. Criminal justice reform was a huge step forward. The first step act, as we called it. it was, this was something I worked on for eight years, and it, it was an honor finally to get it signed into law a few months ago. And just yesterday, we had a big event over at the White House celebrating its passage. There are a lot of other areas where I think there's opportunity for broad-based bipartisan cooperation and compromise, including things like reform under the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. In recent days, we've seen how this has been abused. This is another thing where I've been calling for reform over the last few years, because I don't think that our intelligence gathering, gathering agencies ought to have the kind of discretion 
that can involve de facto spying on the American people. Uh, that's not okay. I also think we need reform in the area of civil asset forfeiture, uh, where governments can come along and take away your property uh, and then put the burden back on you to prove your innocence right. for you to be able to get it back. I think both of those are big areas of potential broad-based bipartisan reform. And I, I actually hear uh, from my constituents on those issues. Those are issues that are of great importance. And uh, the seizing of property, that's become uh, a major deal on both sides of the aisle uh, and certainly needs to uh, find common ground. So where, where do you see uh, some policy changes that perhaps need to take place? In the light of we have legislative things that we can work together, are there some uh, some policy changes that we need, be it uh, on the border, be it what, what some of these big issues are stalling. Yeah. Are they policy issues or legislative issues? Well, legislative issues are themselves policy issues. They, they are one and the same. And in fact, the legislative branch under Article One of the Constitution is the policymaking arm and, and organ of the federal government. We've got to return that to the legislative branch, because for decades now, for about the last 80 years, we've seen a deliberate shift of policymaking power from the legislative branch over to the executive branch. You mentioned some areas and where that's we hard need, to get back, like it you is, said earlier. It is hard to get back, but it's only as hard as the will of individual members of Congress is soft. Um, we could do it. We do, in fact, have the power to do it. We've just chosen not to. It's so much easier to delegate over to an executive branch agency. We hereby delegate to agency X the power to make and enforce good law in area Y. Make it so. And then they do all the heavy lifting from there. And then when they do stupid things, as they do not because they're bad or evil or incompetent people, but because they're human beings, Constituents come and complain to us. We beat, beat, the, beat our chests in indignation as if to say, oh, those barbarians. I'm going to write them a harshly worded letter. Yeah, we didn't do it. Yeah. Exactly. That's why if I had a magic wand and I could wave one magic wand as far as legislative reform, policy reform, it would be to pass the RAINS Act, which would require that any new executive branch agency action that has a major impact on the American economy would have to be affirmatively enacted into law by both houses of Congress. Right. Yeah, that would be a that would be a big a big step. Well, Mike, I just want to thank you for taking time to be with us today. Uh, you are a hero to millions of people across this country, and uh, the role that you play in the Senate is uh, huge. And we are honored to have you uh, not only as a friend but as a worker, a co laborer here in the Senate. And it's always great to have you, the Freedom Caucus. You're always a you're an honorary member. You know that. Thank you. No higher, no higher compliment could be paid. I appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you. And thank you for each of you for listening today. Uh, we always are honored to have you on board. If you have a moment, please consider reviewing this podcast on iTunes and follow us at facebook.com slash Freedom Caucus. Also through our Twitter handle at Freedom Caucus. Hope you'll be able to join us next week. Until then, I'm Jody Heiss. This is the Freedom Caucus podcast. Have a great day.